so glad you're here on a Wednesday night, and uh, what a privilege it is to be able to share with you and uh, awesome time of, of God's moving and inhabiting our praises. Let's go to the Lord and ask the Lord to help us and to open our hearts to receive His Word tonight. Father, we just come before you one more time. God, we do thank you, Lord, for the worship, Lord, that went up from this place, Lord, in your spirit that came down and inhabited, Lord, our praises, Lord, and, and rest in this room. And God, also the worship that went up, Lord, but it, it, it works in our hearts, Lord. It causes us to have a fallow ground for you to come and to plant your word, God, and to minister, Lord. Help us to be receptive of what you want to say to us tonight and challenge us, Lord, to a deeper walk, Lord. We just thank you for all that you're going to do, Lord God, as you bless your word, God, and we go out and live your word, Lord, in the world that we live in. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your anointing, Lord. So we're going to go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 36 for, for just a second, just to kind of get us started. Uh, I've got all these different kinds of, of ideas that's going on in my head, so I can tell you right off the bat, this is not a verse-by-verse uh, type of study. I don't have one, two, three, four points with a nice little illustration in between, and, and, but I am going to try to tie it all together when it's all said and done, and hopefully it'll, it'll challenge us and make sense to us before we leave. Ezekiel chapter 36, and look at verse 26. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, and it says this, God is talking, and uh, Ezekiel's writing this prophecy down, and the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to, to keep my laws. And we know that this is a prophecy that Ezekiel is writing. And while he's writing, we know that God's children have been in captivity. They've been carried away to Babylon. They've been there for some time now. And Ezekiel is writing encouraging prophecy to them to, so that they can know that, hey, a time is coming when things are going to change. And not just change, but a time is coming when I am going to put my heart and my spirit inside of you. It's not just going to be a, hey, you've got to follow this rule, and you've got to follow this rule. And if you ever break any rules, then you've got to pay the consequences for that. I'm going to put my heart and my spirit in you so much so that we are going to have a relationship. You can have a relationship with me. I'll have a relationship with you. And I'm going to put within you the desire, the want to, the love to follow me so that we can be in relationship together and serve God the way that God longs to be served and worship God the way that God longs to be worshiped. Little could they understand back then at that time that when that time was going to come, Paul would call it, hey, this is the mystery. And pastor talked about that a few weeks ago. Little did they know that the time was going to come and what that would be like when that prophecy would be fulfilled. And yet thousands of years later, here we are today, we are experiencing that very prophecy in our lives. God putting his heart in us, God putting his spirit in us. And that is what we long for and we pray for and if we could, you know, just take a few minutes, I'd like to talk about kids' church. Is that all right? You, you, sometimes it seems like we're in another world over there in that little building. But I just want you to know what God does over there in the time that we put in and uh, the, the seriousness that we take when it comes to ministering to your kids. And so uh, Pastor Reese mentioned it this past week. And uh, Pastor and uh, Pastor Reese and I went to a conference. And then a lot of the worship team came that evening a few weeks ago to an incredible conference in at the bottom of the banner in the conference was a verse that talked about not allowing this young generation to grow up without ever experiencing the power of God, to grow up to, without ever seeing a miracle, to grow up without ever being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you know, because uh, we've talked about it quite often, that 
our heart is that every kid, before they grow up and are out of kids' ministry and they've moved into Pastor Reese's ministry, that they're full of the Holy Spirit and they're ready to move on to another level. And so my heart was, was challenged again that day, and, and I kept saying, God, that's what we pray for all the time. That's what we want all the time. And so lately we've been talking about, since basically the beginning of the year, we've been talking about the I Am statements of Jesus. And so the first Sunday we talked about how God gives his name to Moses and tells him, Moses, tell your people, tell my people that I am has sent you. So the name of God that God gave to Moses is I am. We know that. But what does that mean? It means that God is, he was, and he always will be. It means that God has always existed. And man, can you try to imagine helping a young kid understand that, how God has always existed? We know, you know, the science tries to teach us, you know, the world began when there was these gases, and then there was this dust, and it all swirled together, and then there was this big bang or whatever, and things begin to form. And well, let's think like a kid for just a second. Where did the gas and where did the dust come from? You know, so it's got to come from something, meaning that there was a person, a creator, a God in the beginning that started it all, and his name is I Am. And so we begin that, uh, this study with the, the statements that Jesus makes, I Am. And so we went into I Am the Bread of Life, and we talked about manna in the wilderness and how later on Jesus says, I Am that Bread of Life. And then we talked about how Jesus says, I Am the Light of the World, and how that it was a, a special holiday, the Feast of Tabernacles, when they would uh, commemorate the, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And it was on that holiday uh, that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And and, and kids are, are getting this. And we talked about how Jesus is the gate and he is the good shepherd. And you can imagine what we're going to talk about this week, how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we were at this, uh, th- this, this conference, we saw video and video and video of literally millions of people coming to Christ in Africa at the Reinhardt Bonnke Crusades in Africa. It is like being on a ship and not being able to see any land and all you see is water. And in that instance, it's like being on a stage and you can't see anything else except wave after wave after wave of people off in the distance. As far as you can see, you can look it up on YouTube. It's it's there literally millions of people at a conference or a crusade coming to Christ. And we showed this video to the kids and they were just amazed at how many people were coming to Christ. And I begin to watch these kids and I begin to share with them different times where I felt God's presence in a, in a, a unique way. Not just on an average Sunday morning, not just on an average Wednesday night, but being out in the world where, where uh, God has used us to minister in different ways. And, and I just begin to tell the kids, I don't want you to grow up. You know, we've told this before, but it was just a special time. I felt the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to grow up without experiencing the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to grow up without seeing a miracle. I want you to believe, even as, as, as you are right now, the age you are now, to, to feel and to experience and to know that God is real. And my own daughter just turned 12 years old this week. She'll be out of youth pretty soon. The very reason why I got back into kids' ministry was so that my daughter could know that, hey, God is real and have, a, have quality ministry in her life. She turned 12 years old this week. I don't want her to grow up not seeing a miracle not knowing the power of God. And I watched as, as tears begin to fall from these little kids' eyes. Several of them got up and got down on their knees. We just stopped everything. It just went after God. I didn't have to tell the kids what to say. You know, they just, their, their own little prayer language, their own little way. From, God understands their heart. 
And man, the, the tears and the voices of these little kids. Someone would just be quiet. Someone would pray out loud. And, and I could hear little kids speaking in tongues. Just kind of a whisper. But then it got louder. And we just, we turned on some music, turned it on louder. And, and the kids began to not care who they were sitting beside and what they were doing. In that little building over there two weeks ago, incredible things happened. And that's what we want. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I apologize for... Um, and I was reminded <clears throat> years ago when I was youth pastor in Bryan, uh, we just got hungry like that. And a revival started amongst the young people. And uh, it, it would be every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and, and the young people would just stay after service. And we'd just keep seeking God. We'd be in church till well after 12 o'clock, well after midnight, many times. Reminded of the times when uh, Michael's age group, they, 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 they would be on the floor, literally so heavy in the spirit, drunk in the spirit, passed out in the spirit, whatever we as Pentecostals want to call it. They just didn't want to get up or didn't have the power to get up. And parents would come in and pick them up and take them home. And, and it was just such an incredible, incredible time. And that's what we want. I, I, I pray for the day that parents come and pick up the kids on Sunday morning and the kids don't care to go home. The kids are just lost in God's spirit. And whatever that means and whatever that looks like, God's got different things for all of us. That's what we pray for. That's, that's what we want. That's what I pray for for my own daughter, that they would have that kind of experience. I can't manufacture it. I can't make it happen. But I can pray for it, and I can believe for it, and trust God for it. Because we don't want a generation to grow up without experiencing God in a real way. So that being said, I'm going to tie this all together as best I can. I want to ask you a question tonight. Where have you been? Where have you been today? Where have you been? Have you ever asked your child, have you ever asked your children, you know, where have you been? I mean, think of all the different scenarios where the phrase, the question would come up, where have you been? Where have you been? What kind of situations would the question come up? You know, if you have a teenager and you say, where have you been? It might be that they miss curfew. You know, if your kid comes in with muddy shoes, a mom is probably going to say, where have you been? You know, if the wife comes home and she's got several shopping bags in her hand, the husband might say, where have you been? Although you can look at the bags and you'll know. You know, if the husband comes home late for dinner, the wife might say, where have you been? Or supper, depending on what part of the country you live in. There are all kinds of situations where the question might come up, where have you been? And in almost all of these that we've mentioned, a little stress is kind of involved and most likely. But notice it's all in how you say it that makes it a good thing or a bad thing. You know, where have you been? Or if you put the word just in front of it, just where have you been? You know, or hey, where have you been? It all depends on how you say it, but there's some meaning behind it and there's the question behind it. And how do we answer the question, where have you been? Now, this being a Wednesday night, you know, I know that you're the backbone of the church. Wednesday night are the people that you can count on. Wednesday night, the crowd is the crowd that you're, you're Bible-based, you're studied, you've got a foundation. So I'm probably not going to bring something to you that you've never thought about before, but hopefully we can be challenged as we begin to think about where have you been. And so, like I said, on a Wednesday night crowd, you may already know where I'm, kind of where I'm going with this. We're going to go now to the, the book of Acts, chapter 3. In the book of Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 is an incredible miracle that takes place. We know that Peter and John, the disciples, are now full of the Holy Spirit. 
We know that Peter and John in chapter 3 are making their way to the temple because they're going to the temple to pray, and they see a man that is sitting there begging. Later on, we find out that this man has never been able to walk his whole life. We find out later on that this man has been this way for over 40 years, sitting beside the temple every day, begging for whatever it is that people would give to him. On this particular day, little could he know that his life was about to change when he sees Peter and John coming to him. I imagine that he is reaching out to them. He's holding something out to them, hoping for a few coins, hoping for something. And Peter looks at this man, and Peter says, look at us. And I imagine this man says, okay, I'm going to get some good money today. I'm going to get a good amount of coins today. This must be my lucky day. He couldn't even begin to imagine just how fortunate God was going to bless him on that day. And then I think in the same moment, his heart probably skips a beat and it drops a little bit because he goes from a high to a low almost within the same sentence that Peter's talking when Peter says, hey, listen, I don't have any silver and I don't have any gold. And I imagine it's like this to this. Okay, you know, what, what do you got? What, do you, what are you going to give? I can just imagine what's going on in his mind. And then Peter goes, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And Peter reached down and helped the man. The Bible says immediately the man jumped to his feet, began walking. It says at that point he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And everyone was at awe of what happened. Everyone could not believe it. Everyone was giving praise to God. Everyone was talking about it. He was just wanting food. He was just wanting some money. He was just wanting a trinket. He was just wanting a little something. But instead, now he's walking and he's jumping and he's sleeping. He's praising God and it's caused quite a stir. Now think about this for just a second. How did this man receive his miracle? What happened that this man received his miracle? Was it because Peter said, get up? I, I, I don't think so. Was it because that Peter said, you know, get up and walk? You know, I, I don't think so. What was it that this man received a miracle? And Peter says, what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Think about that for just a second. I mean, you better have something when you make a statement like that. You better really have something when you make a statement like that. As a matter of fact, we as Christians... That's what causes us to doubt. We hear the, the Holy Spirit whispering in our hearts, and, and we hear him say, you know, hey, help this person out. Hey, pray for this person. Hey, step out on a limb just a little bit and follow me and see what I can do through you. But the whole time, we're thinking in the back of our minds, but God, what if something doesn't happen? What if I look bad? What if I look foolish? What if people are looking at me and it doesn't happen? What if something goes wrong? I mean, think about this for just a little bit. This is a little sad humor. But what if Peter didn't have anything to give and he put himself out there on a limb and he grabbed this man by the hand and said, get up and walk and nothing happens and Peter refuses to give up and he's dragging this man. You know, this, this is terrible. This would be an awful, awful, terrible story of how God didn't do what everybody expected God to do. But Peter did have something because he had been somewhere and he's able to say what I have, I give you. Because he had something because he had been somewhere. You've got to have it to be able to give it away. I love and appreciate all of you today. I love to stand at the back of the door and on the way out give everybody $1,000 on the way out. 
Well, while we're talking about it, I'd love to give you all a million dollars because I don't have either one of them and it doesn't matter. But if I had it, I'd love to say I'd give it to you. And I've often told the Lord, I said, Lord, if, if you would just, you know, make me wealthy, I would bless people, Lord. And evidently he doesn't believe me because this never happens. So I just have to leave it up to him. You know, he knows better than I know. But I like to think that I would. But if I had it, I'd sure like to give it. And I want to be able to be like Peter and John, to have the heart of God, to have the spirit of God, to be able to say, what I do have, I give you. But you have to have been somewhere to be able to give something like that away. And just thinking about, uh, I, I love to read. I could sit down and read all day. Sometimes I drive Michael nuts because she'll want to, you know, watch a show together or something. I've got my Kindle or a book in my hand. I, I read to entertain. I read to study. I read to be inspired. It, you know, if, if there's no football on, which is, I tried the XFL this weekend. I don't know about that stuff, but we'll, we'll keep praying. If there's no real sports on, you know, um, and it's a movie that I've already seen and I, and I already know the ending to it, you know, I'd just rather get a book and, and just start reading. And that's just me. I, I read several books a week. And it's not to brag. That's just I'd rather do that for entertainment. And so um, a lot of my books are in storage. And just this week, I was getting a whole bunch of the, the books out that were in boxes and was putting them on the shelves. And I came across the book one more time, The God Chasers. And I read that, you know, like, Ever, just ever so often, just to, just to reread it, just to reread Tommy Tenney. I love his book, The God Chasers and God's Favorite House. And I was reminded that uh, about carrying the fragrance of the Father. In the book, Tommy, he, he talks about carrying the fragrance of the Father. I know that on a Wednesday night, this, it's, it's a concept that's not new to you. But, you know, you can tell where somebody has been by all different kinds of things. You, you, you don't have to be an incredibly smart detective to figure out where people have been. One day, somebody knocked on my door, and uh, I immediately knew where they had been. They were sucking on a candy cane, but you couldn't, you couldn't uh, you know, uh, disguise the alcohol that was on her breath. Uh, uh, if somebody is on drugs, you know where they've been. If somebody is an alcoholic, you know where they've been. If someone just recently came from the gym, you know where they've been. You can tell. If somebody's been working in the yard, you probably can tell where they've been. It's not hard to notice where people have been. I, I was at a restaurant the other day, and uh, I just, it, it was a fast food type of place. Reese and I, my daughter Reese and I had sat down, and, and uh, we were eating, and there was a one person other than ourselves, and, and it was all we could do to eat and get out of there because he was just so full of marijuana in his skin, in his clothes, it just permeated everything. I just, I can't handle that smell. But I could tell where he had been. You know, you go to nice restaurants, but when you leave that restaurant, you smell your clothes. Mm, I still smell like I was in that restaurant. Doesn't matter if it's a cheap restaurant or a nice restaurant. People can tell where you've been. You can tell the people who really like their cologne and perfume. You know, you can tell a lot about people just by some of the way that they smell. A lot of times you can tell where someone's been by the fragrance good or bad, that they give off, because the evidence is there. And in the book, Tommy Tenney, he writes about carrying the fragrance of my father. And I was lying awake uh, earlier this week just thinking about all the times with Reese, my daughter Reese, and uh, how uh, it's hard to imagine that she's already 12, and I still see a little girl every time I look at her. And I was just thinking, I remember holding her when she was a baby, 
And I'd been holding her after church for a while. You know, we were shaking hands with people and, you know, on the way out. And somebody come up and they, they uh, picked little Reese up and they were holding her. And, and they remarked and said, you smell like daddy. Because she had kind of soaked in my cologne. And I thought, man, what a compliment. I want my daughter to, I want that. And I want to carry that kind of fragrance of my father in heaven. I want people to know that I've been in his presence. I've been spending time with him. I want to carry his fragrance. And what a blessing that would be when people ask me, where have you been? It's not because of any of these other things that we've talked about. It's that they've noticed something different about me. And they want to know, where have you been? Because I want to go there too. I want to be there too. And so on a Wednesday night, we know that we're the people that want to carry God's fragrance. And we don't want it to be a faint scent. We want it to be a strong sense of God's power in our lives. And for, for Peter and John, they've had an opportunity now to preach. And we know that 5,000 men have gotten saved. And the church is growing and expanding. And they've had this awesome, incredible opportunity to, to minister to Tons and tons of people because of what God has done through them. And then we read that the religious hypocrites, the religious rulers of the day, they come in and they arrest Peter and John and they throw them in jail. It's only fair to say this as well when we're talking about carrying the fragrance of the Father, that there are those people that don't care that you're doing that. As a matter of fact, they don't like it. They don't want you carrying the fragrance of the Father. They don't want to feel that conviction. They don't want to know where you've been. They don't care to know where you've been. They don't like the fact that you've been there because that's the world that we live in. They don't understand their need of it. As a matter of fact, sometimes just because you carry the fragrance of the Father doesn't mean life is going to be better for you. It might mean it's going to be a little rougher for a while because of the world that we live in. Jesus promised that to disciples. It's a promise to us as well. Things can get rough just because we are believers. But it's clear who we stand with because God blesses his children. It's not always easy to carry his fragrance, but it's always worth it. It's not always easy to carry his presence, but it's always worth it. And so Peter and John are in jail and the the next day, they bring them out, and they begin to interrogate them, and they ask this question, how did the man get healed? By what authority did you do this? By what power or what name did you do this? In Acts chapter 4, verse 8, says, Peter, then filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ in Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And I love that passage Jesus is the only way, and we're going to be talking about that with our kids just this week, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to be healed. He's the only way to receive a miracle. He's the only way to live in this world. He's the only way to life and life abundantly. That was a power verse that we had just a couple of weeks ago. He's the only way. It's only through Jesus. This is what I want you to get tonight. Verse 13, you know where I'm going. 
Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They realized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. How did it all happen? How did he get healed? How did 5,000 men, besides all of their family, get saved? And it was because Peter and John had been with Jesus. You knew that, and you knew where I was going with that. But can I tell you this tonight? Something that popped in my mind when I was restudying this was that when the religious hypocrites began to talk to each other, and they began to say, hey, these, these guys have been with Jesus They didn't mean that as a compliment. They were upset because Jesus had turned the tables on them a few too many times because Jesus had called them out a few too many times. They were so mad at Jesus. They took Jesus, arrested Jesus, beat Jesus, put him on a cross and killed Jesus. And they were planning on doing the same thing with his disciples. It wasn't a compliment that they said, these guys have been with Jesus. When the world sees that you've been with Jesus, not everyone is going to compliment you on that fact. They'll be convicted or they'll be happy, but it'll be one or the other. And when they said these men have been with Jesus, they didn't mean it as a compliment. But Peter and John, I think they were high-fiving each other going, they couldn't give me a better compliment. They couldn't say a nicer thing to me about it. They couldn't compliment me any better way because I've been with Jesus and they recognize it. And I'm so glad they can see that because that is how this man was healed. Because we've been with Jesus. The world we live in today has not many nice things to say about true believers. Every time that we uh, do our pledges, we do the pledge to the Christian flag, and we say all true Christians in service and in love. And all the kids know to say true really, really loud because there's a difference. Unfortunately, there's a difference between those who call themselves believers and those who are true believers. And the compliment is this. They can tell that we've been with Jesus. They can tell where we've been. I want it to be seen, understood, and sensed in my life that I've been spending time with my Father. I've been with Jesus because I need God's heart. I need God's spirit. And it happens by spending time with Jesus. The story is told, a true story is told of Todd and Tara Storch. They had a 13-year-old daughter and they went on a ski trip. Through a series of events, their daughter Taylor died from an accident it was obviously their worst nightmare as they went through the funeral. And they had, they had some terrible decisions to make that no parent should ever have to make. And they decided they wanted to give her organs away so that others in need could find the help that they needed. And at the time, few people needed a new heart nearly as bad as a lady named Patricia Winters. She had been more than five years with a weak heart, leaving her nearly nothing to do but sleep all the time. And this was going to be Patricia's miracle. But Taylor's mom, Tara, had this one request when she first spoke to Patricia. She said, listen, I'm so glad that you could have this opportunity, that this could be your miracle. But I've got one request. When the surgery is done, completed, and when you are healthy, and when we finally get together to meet you in person, I want to hear my daughter's heart beating. Patricia said, that sounds great to me. 
through a series of events and a little over time, they meet together and there's, you can imagine, there's hugs and there's tears. And they get to know one another and finally Patricia takes a stethoscope and she offers it to the parents. And one by one, they put the stethoscope in their ears and they take the listening device and they put it up to her chest and they listen to that heart beating strong inside Patricia. And I ask you this question tonight. Whose heart did they hear beating? Whose heart did they hear beating? See, God promises, I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I want God living inside of me to such a way that it's not my heart beating, it's Jesus. I want God's spirit living inside of me in such a way that it's not my spirit, not my will, not my desire, but it's Jesus. For Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians, he says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ's heart beating. I want this heartbeat to beat for God in such a way that it beats for what God's heart beats, beats for. And he's in the people business. And I want to have something so that I can give to people so they can see him. You know, our faith, our belief, the reason that we're here tonight, one of the, it, we're so different than any other belief, any other so-called faith, in the fact that our founder, he died for us because he loved us so much. We know that. We're different than any other faith, any other belief in the sense that our founder not only died for us because he loved us, but he rose again. And we know that. That separates us from anything else. But think about this as well. No other belief, no other so-called religion, no other so-called faith says this, where the founder says, I will come and live inside of you. And we sing about that power tonight. I want that power living inside of me. I want God's heart living inside of me. It's the mystery that Paul talks about. It's the new heart that God promised. It's the new spirit that God promised. And it's understood in the fact that Christ is in me. You know, it's easy for me to understand. It's easy for kids to understand that Christ is for you. It's easy for them to understand that Christ wants to help you, that Christ wants to go ahead of you. But it's such a mystery to think that Christ wants to live inside of me. And Jesus told his disciples, and Pastor Reese did such a good job last week talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another comforter, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I didn't count it, but somebody, I just read it just recently this week. I, I, uh, Paul refers to God living inside us no less than 216 times. The apostle John, he refers to it no less than 26 times. In 1 John chapter 4, he says this, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. I want God living in me, living a life of love. 
talks about the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead in Romans chapter 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit who lives in you. What do I have? I have Christ's spirit living in me. How do I give it away? I spend time with Jesus. How do I get more of it? I spend time with Jesus. I need to carry his presence with me. I need to be with him so that when I walk out, I'm still carrying his presence. How do I do that? John chapter 15. Bringing it to an end. Trying to tie this all together as best I can. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. But if I abide in him, what can I do? If I abide in him, what can I give away? The NIV says, if I remain in him, and he remains in me, where have you been? Oh, that people would know that I've been with Jesus. David was found as a man after God's own heart. Because when he was alone doing nothing but watching sheep, he worshiped God. He worshiped his presence. He practiced being in his presence. Moses went up on a mountain to see the glory of God. and All the people were afraid and said, no way, not me. But Moses said, I'm going in. As he came down, he was glowing and all the people made him wear a veil because he had been in his presence. Moses would spend time with God in the tabernacle and His young assistant Joshua would go in with him, and Moses would speak to God, and then Moses would leave, but Joshua would stay behind a little bit longer because he wanted to be in his presence. Mary would come to Jesus, and she would pour costly perfume on Jesus' feet, wipe them with her hair. The fragrance fills the room, and it's an obvious sweet-smelling sacrifice. Earlier, her sister Martha had wanted to cook for Jesus, make things for Jesus, to help Jesus, to work for Jesus, to do something for Jesus. But all Mary could think about doing was, I just want to be at his feet. I just want to be close. I just want to be in his presence. And I close with this tonight. Several years ago, I was working five hours away from the Metroplex. Wonderful church. Great place great people just like here. And I enjoyed being there, but there was a huge problem. As I've just said, I was five hours away from my daughter. Every other weekend, I would drive up, pick her up, drive back five hours both ways, spend time a couple of days with her, only to drive back five hours, drop her off, drive back five hours. Every time there was tears. Every time it was, no, Daddy, I don't want to go home. Every time it was, please, I can't even begin to talk about the anxiety that happened with all that. My parents, appreciate them, love them so much. They took it upon themselves once a month to come and visit me way down South Texas, pick up my daughter on the way. We would all spend a weekend together, and they would take her back. Every time, when it was time for little Reese to go back home, tears and crying and the best times was when it was my parents and not just me carrying that load carrying that hurt and that pain 
one day they picked her up and they were taking her back. And it was pretty much usual, tears, crying, don't want to go, you know, all those kind of things. And eventually she calmed down and on the way back to, to Dallas, they began to talk. And for whatever reason, little Reese, she was, she was uh, curious about all the people that were in our family, people that she had never met. So she asked my dad about his parents and what kind of people they were, and they got to talking about all the different relatives that she had never met. And finally they came to, she would almost always ask the question when it was all said and done, well, did they go to heaven? Did they go to heaven? And so Reese came to my mom, her nana, and she says, Nana, tell me about your, your mom and dad. And so my mom began to tell Reese about her great-grandmother who passed away when my mom was just a very, very young girl. And just as in all the others, Reese asked, did she go to heaven? And Nana looked at Reese and said, oh, yes, yes, dear, she went to heaven. She was the best Christian that I have ever known. She went to heaven. My parents, they couldn't wait to tell me the story when they got back. I said that Reese was quiet for a while, and then she said, but Nana, I thought my daddy was the best Christian you ever knew. And I did that same reaction until I started thinking about it. And I had to pray, God, help me be the man of God my little girl thinks I am. I can fool a lot of people. I can fake it a lot of different ways. But she sees me. She's with me. She knows me. She sees me when nobody else is around. She sees Bible in hand, kneeling in prayer, sitting with her at night before she goes to bed, and let's read the Bible. Let's talk about it. Help me be, oh God, the man my child thinks that I am. Because I want to carry his fragrance. I want to have something and be able to give it away to our kids, to my kid, your kids, to people that we meet outside the walls of this building. And it starts with spending time with him and letting his heart beat in me and letting his spirit live in me. So, Father, we come before you tonight. Holy God. Lord, I thank you for the times of prayer that come up from this church, from this building. Lord, we've got set times throughout the week. Prayer meetings going on all week long in different ways. Lord, you know our hearts. We want, we desire, we need your presence here. Resting here. God, in such a way that, Lord, when the doors are unlocked, when the doors are open and people just walk in the room, there's something different. So much so that when we as Christians, when we, your children, walk out of this building and we go home or we go to work, Lord, there's a fragrance in the car. There's a fragrance in our cubicle at work. There's a fragrance in our office. There's a fragrance at school. Lord, there's, wherever it is that we go, Lord, people just sense and know and it creates opportunities for us to say, what I have, I give. Because we want people to know you, Lord, see you and experience you. 
Lord, in a fresh and a real way. Can't have another generation of teenagers not experiencing the power of God. Can't have another generation of young moms and dads who have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Can't have a generation of kids growing up who have never seen a miracle. Lord, we know you're in the people business. Help us to be about your business. Your heart beating in us. Your spirit flowing through us. And I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. On Wednesday night, the things that we often talk about in here are powerful and challenging. Can't be fixed on a Wednesday night. It's not something that you can do in five minutes, be done and over with on a Wednesday night. It's what we do tomorrow. It's what we do the next few days. We come back and we, we get filled up again on Sunday. We go out and we practice His presence again. So we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Bless your people, Lord. And thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Keith. Thank you for talking about our kids tonight. Amen, church. Thank you so much. You and Michael, thank you. Thank you for investing in our boys and girls. You know, that's why we have these temporary classrooms, and we believe that God brought you to us, and you're doing a great job with these kids. I know our parents should be very pleased with the stuff you're seeing, bringing home, and the, 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 all the handouts and things. I often ask these kids, what's the, I keep forget, what's the, what's the super idea? What's the super idea? You know, it could be Jesus is Lord, or, or our God heals, or he saves, but a thank you. And thank you for reminding us of the presence of the Lord that we so desperately need. As we conclude tonight, I want you to think about this, to just tie this off. And when Barnabas went to Antioch in Acts 11, it says when he went there, here's what it says, he saw the grace of God. There was something tangible that the Spirit of God was doing in that church. And, and by the way, Antioch was one of the great churches of the world, by the way. One of the great missionary churches of the world. And it says there was something tangible that Barnabas could see, but the source was the Holy Spirit. And, and he could see it in their relationships, how they loved each other, how they were submitted to Christ. And that's my prayer. I prayed that for a long, long time, Brother Keith. I prayed that for years. Lord, let the grace of God be seen here. And we're moving forward, and the Lord is with us. And as I conclude this, uh, I want to thank Keith for taking the sermon tonight. I was very busy today. I knew I was going to be busy this week with a lot of building stuff. And I, I said, Keith, would you just take this load? And um, just been doing some reading today as well as having some meetings. And just aware, and you know this, I'm preaching to the choir you know this, our, uh, we're facing a lot in our world, the church of Jesus Christ. Our nation has changed. Can I tell you, our nation has changed. The game has changed. The rules have changed. Now, there's a lot of, of animosity toward true Christians. You mentioned true Christians tonight. There's a lot of animosity 
to the followers of Jesus. And it, it is, it, I'm just going to be straight with you. It's been a very successful strategy against the church and the morality of our land. And as I was thinking about that today and Keith talking about the presence of the Lord, we must have the presence of the Lord. We must have the help of the Lord to live in this dark world. But we can live for him. And here's the thing. We were made for this. You hear that? This is what we were made for. We are light and we are salt in this world. And so as we go forward, I'm going to be talking about some of the issues. They're very controversial, not, not to me, uh, but in Scripture they speak of these things. I'm going to be sharing some of these things, kind of what's our stand on these things. And, uh, but we need to be the church. Amen? Let's just lift our hands. Father, tonight, how grateful we are that our brother Keith reminded us, Lord, that where have we been? And Lord, wherever we've been, that influence will be upon us. It'll affect our lives. It'll affect where our feet go, how we think, what our attitude is. And Lord, let us stay much in your presence. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, I pray your grace and love upon each person here this evening. I pray that your supernatural presence would be in them and flow through them to a darkened world. And Lord, give strength to your people. And we bless your name for this wonderful fellowship. We ask you to dismiss us in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you tonight as you dismissed.